You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Nam, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit JcastNetwork.org. Good morning. So today we're going to uh, be studying a text from the Nativot Shalom. We studied a little bit of Nativot Shalom uh, this Passover. We studied an essay of his on. Um, it's all great. <laughs> um, we studied an essay of the Nativot Shalom um, about Passover. And the Nativot Shalom, his name is uh, Rabbi Shalom Noach Berzavsky. Uh, he is uh, the uh, late Slonimer Rebbe. He uh, was born in uh, in uh, Slonim in uh, um, in uh, well I don't know depends on what what yeah Poland I mean depends on what uh, what year you're talking about um, he was uh, he was born in Eastern Europe in uh, in in 1911 uh, to a uh, to a very uh, um, a storied Hasidic uh, dynasty uh, the Slonimer Hasidim and. Uh, um, and he, at some point, uh, I think in the 30s, uh, made Aliyah to uh, uh, to Israel and settled in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, B'nai Brak in uh, near Tel Aviv, um, where uh, his followers, I think, continue to uh, live today. Uh, the Slonim Rebbe left the world in in about uh, in August of 2000, so um, about uh, 12 years ago. Um, his yurt site, I guess, will be in, in another month or so. Um, and uh, uh, so in terms of uh, Hasidic literature that's out there, he's really uh, modern in comparison. Um, and what's, uh, what's amazing about the Sloan Marebi is uh, that uh, because he uh, essentially lives in, uh, in the modern era, um, his writings um, are... Um, uh, are in, I think, a very clear and understandable Hebrew. Um, he obviously throws in some uh, Gemara, you know, Talmud expressions here and there, and some uh, um, Kabbalistic expressions here and there. So from, from time to time, um, it's not uh, it's not uh, totally understandable to the person who only has a basic knowledge of Hebrew. But for the most part, if you have a fairly basic knowledge of Hebrew, um, you can work through the Nativo Chalim, it's very accessible Hasidic uh, work in that regard. Um, he also, um, as opposed to many other Hasidic works, where um, the pattern usually was that the Rebbe would teach a teaching on, sh- on Shabbos afternoon, um, usually in Yiddish, and then the uh, the students, the Hasidim, would then transcribe the Rebbe's words um, after Shabbos. Sometimes with the uh, consultation of the Rebbe himself. Sometimes not. Right. Sometimes they would bring their manuscripts over to the Rebbe and say, "Do you remember saying this?" And they would say yes or no. Right. And sometimes they would just do it and then publish it. Um, so you have that problem with a lot of, uh, of Hasidic literature. But the, the additional problem is that most of them uh, uh, spoke, uh, taught in Yiddish, uh, and most of the texts, most of the Hasidic uh, literature that you find is written in Hebrew, um, which means that, for the most part, uh, it was translated from Yiddish into Hebrew by, uh, by the students, which means that it was, first of all, translated by people who didn't really have a good... Um, um, uh, didn't have the kind of knowledge of Hebrew that uh, modern speakers have. 
uh, or that we've come to expect in modern uh, speaking of Hebrew and writing of Hebrew, um, and and it's and it's writing in translation, so it's uh, it's already a step removed. Uh, the Nativo Shalom is is not like that. The uh, Hebrew was the language that uh, that he taught in, I think, for the most part, and the language that he wrote in. The other thing about the the Slonim or Rebbe. Um, and this was uh, uh, this the essay specifically that we're looking at. It was um, pointed out to me by my teacher, Reb Mimi Feigelson, uh, this past week when I was at uh, um, uh, this conference, Beit Midrash in the Hills. Um, Reb Mimi is my teacher at uh, the uh, Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies, and she um, is the Mashpia Ruchanit there, the spiritual director of uh, of the rabbinical school. Um, she is. Um, a, a, an entity in herself. We could talk about Ramimi another time, but potentially she's a, a really true original, but one of the world's first um, uh, female Orthodox rabbis um, and, uh, and a, uh, one of the world's great experts of, uh, of Hasidut, uh, Hasidic literature. Um, and she led a series uh, at, um, at this conference on uh, the Hasidic master's approach to prayer. And she took several Hasidic masters spanning uh, a few generations um, and, and uh, talked about their approach to prayer. So this is the one that I wanted to share with you, partially because of its accessibility in, in the Hebrew. And so as far as I know, there's no English translation of Nitivot Shalom. So what I have for you here is the pure, unadulterated original. Um, the, but one other thing that Remy pointed out to me about Nativo Shalom is uh, is that as opposed to many other um, Hasidim, um, he thinks like a Litvak, meaning to say he um, he he has a very sort of analytic mind and kind of lays things out in very logical progression, whereas many Hasidim kind of are, are very associative in their uh, in in their thinking. Right? He kind of uh, takes you step by step through a, a, an argument. Okay, that he's going to lay forward, which is why I think also he's he's very helpful. You lose a little bit of the uh, Hasidic ecstasy um, that right. So it, and Reb Mimi was talking about how if you look at like two of the um, great remaining Hasidic dynasties today, the Slonim Hasidim and the Bobover Hasidim, the Bobover uh, model of uh, of Hasidic Judaism is very sort of. Um, uh, Bombacious, or not bombacious, that's not a word, bombastic, um, right? Very, very sort of like, um, you know, uh, ecstatic and, uh, and, right, very out there. And the Slonomer uh, Rebbe was very, was very modest and very humble, wore, you know, a black capota, you know, with Davin sort of hunched over, uh, whereas the Bobovar Rebbe would wear, you know, like a gold uh, Kapota and Strymo and you know Davin and dance and whatever. So a very sort of different model of of, of Hasidut, a very sort of inner model of Hasidut, um, and uh, and so that, I think it's a, a really great uh, um, um, text to look at. Right? The the issue that he wants that he's going to deal with in this first part of the essay that I want to bring to our attention is the issue of kavana, of the intentionality in prayer. Right. What is this person supposed to be thinking about during prayer? Right. We have this uh, classic debate in rabbinic Judaism between, uh, or it's at least usually posed as a debate, I'm not convinced that it's actually a debate, between keva and kavana. Right. Keva is the like fixed routine of prayer. Right, the fact that we have a siddur that lays out all of our prayers in it, the, the fact that we have set times that we're supposed to pray, set prayers that we're supposed to say at different times of day, right? that's keva. Kavana is the intentionality of prayer, what we're supposed to be thinking about or directing our hearts to in prayer. Do we need to have a certain kind of concentration 
or thoughtfulness or mindfulness in the moment of prayer? Or is it enough to just say, okay, it's 7 o'clock, it's time for the Amida, i got to read these words and get through these 18, 19 blessings, and that's prayer. Okay? Or is the answer somewhere in between, that I need to have both? Is one more important than the other? So that's the issue that he's going to deal with here, and that's the kind of the overarching question that I want to pose to us, which is, um, do you need an intentionality in prayer in order for prayer to be effective? Um, and if so, what kind of intentionality? Well, effective is effective in terms of communicating with God or effective in terms of moving yourself? Ah, so that's a good question, right? So what does effective even mean in terms of prayer? Uh, that's a that's a great question. So I want to keep that in the ether too, right? Uh, what 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 is the goal? Right? Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Elliot Dorf, another one of my teachers, wrote a great book which I recommend to you called uh, um, Knowing God, uh, which is one of uh, the, I think the only time he really kind of delves into theology in a systematic way. And he talks about prayer, and he talks about prayer um, as a spiritual practice like baseball. Right? And so like you get up to bat every game, and you you know usually you. Know, Two out of three at bats, you expect to uh, to not get a hit, right? Um, and if that's if you're a good player, two out of three every at bats, you'll you'll you, you plan on not getting a hit. Um, and then sometimes you'll get a single, you know, every once in a while a double, very rarely a home run. And he says prayer is like that too, but he doesn't ever really say what it looks like in prayer to hit a home run. Right? What is it? So that's I think your question, right? What's what does it mean to be effective? What does it mean to hit a home run in prayer? Okay, that's the question. So, um, so here's what he says. I'm at the where it says Aleph, and the title of the essay is Avodah Shabalev Zotfila. Okay, the um, uh, the the service of the heart is prayer. And that's a quote from the Talmud. Ezo he Avodah Shabalev Zotfila. What is the service of the heart? That's prayer. Kitav Harambam. So Maimonides said, by the way, he's probably one of the few Hasidic rabbis that, uh, that start off their talks by quoting Maimonides, the great uh, um, rationalist. Katav Rambam, Barosh Hilchot Tfilas, this is what Rambam said at the beginning of the laws of prayer in the first chapter, uh, which one, we probably learned this at some point with Rabbi Albert, V'zeh Shono, Mitzvat Aseh L'Hitpalel B'chol Yom, Shne'emar V'avadatem Et Adonai Elohechem. Okay, so it, the, the Rambam says that it's a positive commandment to pray every day. As it says in, in Exodus chapter 23, that you should serve the Lord your God. Okay, and from prophecy we learn that, uh, that the avodah, the service that the Maimonides is talking about there, or rather that uh, the Exodus is talking about there, when it says avodah, it means tefillah. Prophecy has told us that that's how you interpret that word. Mitzvah kachi, okay, and this is how you do this mitzvah. A person should pray and supplicate every day. And he should recount the praise of the Holy One. Okay, and after that, a person should ask for his needs that he that he uh, that he needs in request and in supplication right now <clears throat> note in that that according to Maimonides prayer has uh, two dimensions the first is praising God and the second is asking for 
the things that you need, right? Obviously, Maimonides goes on then in, in detail in the laws of prayer to talk about the, the, the specific and set pattern of prayer that we have. But if you just had that statement, it would suggest that you don't need the Siddur at all to pray. Right? In fact, maybe it's even an impediment to prayer to have a, a prayer book. Because what you're supposed to do in prayer is praise God and then ask for the things you need. Right? To bring your own self, to bring your own needs into the moment of prayer. Question, question. Yeah. Uh, his choice of the word, and I'm sure it's deliberate, of using tachanunim, uh, which to me, again, again you know, I'm referring to a said prayer book, but it's very different than the uh, Amida uh, when you're asking for things. Are you to draw a conclusion mm. from that or no? Um, that's a great question. Um, so the, 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 the word tachanun, if I'm not mistaken, comes from the root word chen, which means uh, um, uh, kindness or grace, right? Um, so you're, it's, it's, Tachanun is, uh, is, I think, a different kind of bakasha, is a different kind of request, because instead of, like, asking for, like, um, a, a specific thing you need, you're asking generally for, uh, for salvation, right, redemption, in, in the way we construct it. So I think that that actually might be a helpful way of seeing the difference between bakasha and Tachanun, um, but I, I, I don't think necessarily that he's talking about the set pattern of tachanun that we that we have in the siddur. Um, I think that that has, that has come to sort of um, take the place of the the, the tachanun from your heart. Um, but I think that they are potentially different kind of requestings. Um, uh, but it's a it's a it's a great uh, it's a it's a great uh, um, careful reading there. Um, Biyor Dvarav, okay, so now he's going to explain what the what Maimonides says. Biyor Dvarav, Yesh Lomar, Ki B'Torah HaKodesh, Yesh Inyane Mitzvot Maasiyot Ketzitzi Tutfilin V'Chadome, She'ose Ratzono Yitbarach B'Maaseze, V'Yesh Inyanim HaNikraim Avoda, Kedugmat Avodat HaKorbanot. Okay, so his explanation is that, uh, in the, according to the Torah, there are certain kinds of... Um, uh, action commandments, or doing commandments, like uh, like tzitzit and tefillin and things like that, that you do because you're fulfilling God's will. And then there are things that are called service. Okay, so he's dividing Jewish behavior into two categories. Mitzvah, or, or ma'asim, and avodah. Right? Deeds and worship. Or deeds and service. Right? And an example of service is the sacrifices. And tefillah is connected, prayer is connected to the um, issue of avodah. I'm going to use the word tefillah for prayer here because I think it's a, it's a, it's a richer word than just the term prayer that we use. And sometimes we get sort of uh, weighed down by the term prayer, which I think is, uh, um, English is a, is a Christian language by and large. And so all English words um, often have uh, the... Uh, the, 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 the Christian connotation associated with them, right? So, so salvation, the word we use for salvation in Judaism is, is Yeshua, right? But that's all over Judaism. But when we say salvation, my guess is nine out of ten of us think of the Christian concept, 
right? You know, salvation through faith in, in, in Jesus. It just has a connotation to it, right? So, um, in, the, in a similar sort of way, which is why Mordecai Kaplan, I think, has uh, such problems with saying that God is the power that makes for salvation, not because he's not necessarily right Jewishly, right, that, uh, um, that God is uh, the source of Yeshua, right, uh, uh, and, and Geulah, um, but because that term, I'm hot too, um, <laughs> because that term is, uh, is, is very uh, Christian-laden, to say that God is the power that makes for salvation is a very Christian-sounding uh, terminology. So anyway, that's why I want to use the word tefillah instead of prayer. Um, so tefillah is connected to the issue of, uh, of service. Right? And so you, that's what Maimonides says explicitly when he says that you should serve God every day in tefillah. Right? This is all just sort of introduction here. Okay? And now he's going to get to the point. And there are those who say that with regard to commandments, with regard to putting on tzitzit and tefillin and keeping kosher, keeping Shabbat, that those things don't require specific intention. You don't need to intend to fulfill a mitzvah necessarily by doing a mitzvah. So if I put on tefillin because I'm... I like the leather. Right? Um, <laughs> I think the table. Yeah, I should probably have the table off of that, right? But if I put on to villain because I read Fifty Shades of Grey, and I, no, I, the, um, right? Um, there are those that say that it still count that I still get credit for the mitzvah, right? Even though I didn't intend to do the mitzvah, right? And there are those who say the same thing about prayer. But he says, even though there are people who might say that about prayer, tefillah is the kind, this kind of service that's in the heart. And that's why Maimonides said, Any prayer that's not done with kavana, that's not done with proper intention, is not prayer. That's a very strong statement. Right? Not that you... Um, you know, not that it's, you know, a partial, you don't get partial credit, right? It's not prayer. You didn't do anything if you didn't pray with a proper intention. <coughs> if you prayed without the proper intention, you got to go back and do it again. Howard. <laughs> I learned that all through day school. Never sunk in. <laughs> Did they tell you what the proper intention was? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Well, praying with the heart. What does that mean? You mean it. Instead of doing it just ritualistically, if that's a word. Hmm. And so, because prayer is the, tefillah is the service of the heart. And without proper intention, that can't be understood as service. <coughs> Right, so we'll, let's actually just pause there at that at that paragraph and 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 just throw it out. So, what do you make of that idea that if you don't pray with the proper intention, you haven't done anything? And more than that, if you haven't prayed with the proper intention, you got to go back and do it again. So that's the first question. The second question, I think, is. Right, so I asked you, Howard, well, what does it mean to have the proper intention? How do you know when you have? Um, and, and you said, well, when you, when you mean it, when you do it with your heart. And so the, quest, the, the follow-up question that I have to that is, well, what does it mean to mean it? Does it mean that you, you understand the words that you're saying? Does it mean that you, um, what, what does it mean to mean well, it? Well, the, the truth is, we do 
too much. Our, our, we have a 45 minutes of prayer, and if we're doing it in, in whether we do it in English or Hebrew, we have we go through it too quickly to truly do it with the heart. I mean, you have to really think about what you're saying, and if you think about what you're saying, we can never <coughs> finish in a half hour. <laughs> There's really too much there. One, one thing. No, I'm not saying. <laughs> I'm saying we should. There is an innate uh, intention because you have set time aside for a, a, a purpose, hopefully, of in, uh, praying with the heart. And stuff. But to start, I mean, you have made this your object rather than something else. Now, that's only a beginning, I understand, but it's, it's a little something. Of course, if you're living in B'nai Barak with a, a black hat, um, it's not like you're setting aside the time to do it in the sense that, you know, it's your normal life. But, but, you're approaching, but it's your normal life. You're so approaching you're, it from a different... It's not a choice, let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. But it's an interesting point, though, that, that Albie's making. I don't want it to go you know, totally un, unrecognized. It's a very act of getting up and coming to shul and putting on a talis and opening up the sidor is already an act of, of kavana in, on some level, right? You're, you're intending to, uh, to be where you are. You're intending to be in a certain context. Um, but how can you do it with a heart if you don't know what you're saying? Specifically, specifically, however, you delineate it as being um, not tefillah. Those are uh, I don't know what, how, how you would refer to it. Uh, yeah, you know, I, Howard used the term ritualistic. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that, but. There are, you know, the things that we simply do that's um, putting on a, t- a, a mezuzah on our door. Um, uh, many of us would not think of moving into a home and not putting up a, a mezuzah. Um, does, you know, how many people kiss the mezuzah on the way in and on the way out? Um, it, you know, is that an act of uh, avodah at that point? The issue of uh, of not knowing what you're saying is a really important question, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it, it it's I mean I find it interesting that that just by what the Maimonides says in that first halacha, right, that first law from uh, from the laws of prayer, it doesn't seem like Maimonides uh, says the prayer at its essence doesn't necessarily have to involve any of the words in the siddur. Right? It could, if it's avodah Lev, then it seems to me that it could be totally internally motivated. Right, that, that if the the essence of prayer, right, those two things is to praise God and to pour out your needs before God. Right, then actually I can think of a way in which the prayer book is totally counterproductive to that. Maybe not so much the first thing. The first thing is probably very helpful for, but the but the second thing it seems. On some level, very counterproductive because it doesn't prayer the the sidor all rarely in a um, in a very specific way talks about my needs. Sometimes it lines up maybe by accident, right? In the Amida, you have one one prayer where you ask for the health of your loved one. That's the only thing 
in the entire Amida, which goes to asking for something. Well, it's not totally true, Ralph. I mean, there there are um, in the weekday Amida there are technically thirteen blessings that uh, that are requests. They just may not be requests that align with your the the requests that you My would name. have made that day, My right? Um, so. Uh, but but the uh, you know, the other thing about it is that they're all phrased in the in the plural, right? They're all phrased as communal needs. Even the prayer that you suggested, right? Rifa'enu Adonai v'nerafet, right? Heal us, God, and let us be healed, right? So it's not Rifa'eni or uh, Rifa'ena, right? It's not uh, heal her God or heal me God. It's heal us. So you know, it's what's interesting about uh, about the Amidah is that even the part where it's supposed to be talking about our needs, it's, it's not actually talking about um, our individual needs. It's a, it's a uh, standardized collective need, um, which may be different every day. Um, I just wanted to say, I think there's an advantage in never being a leader, but being at the services, because then you're quite free to pick a word here, a word there, and think about it. And meantime, the group meets its time frame, which is get to the Kaddish at the right time and get to the Kaddish at the right time, and everybody's out at the right time. But for the individual who's just sitting there and looking at the book, if you look at the book, you can find a lot for yourself. The thing is also that if you're doing this almost every day, well, I'd say every day, uh, it becomes like almost rote mm-hmm. as you're reading. As you're reading, your mind wanders with other thoughts that have nothing to do with what you're reading. But still, you're I've reading. gotten to that stage. <laughs> well, I, I would offer a test. When you leave, what do you leave with? You leave with a feeling of satisfaction, a feeling of some kind. You analyze your feelings when you leave. One way might be I, I did what I had to do, and I'm gone. And I know a number of very serious traditional people who take that attitude. This is what i got to do, no more, no less. Mm-hmm. Uh, another approach is to feel that in some way, I think with your drive, what the, the thought here is, you, you commuted with God in some way. But if you apply a, a, an exit interview, so to speak, you mm-hmm. might, might find it interesting to, to, to see what comes out. But, but isn't, just to take your idea a step further, isn't meeting your communal need by having a minion present, communing with God in a sense. Because even if you personally might not have felt that, you may have enabled someone else to accomplish it. Hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting. You made me think there are a lot of people who come very faithfully for a year of Kaddish. It's over, and they're gone. Because they take very seriously the obligation of saying Kaddish. Right? They fulfill. Not a lot, most. <laughs> okay, well. Uh, um, and uh, um, so I think what they're saying is that I will do the obligation, I will meet the obligation, and when it's over, I'm done. I'm done with it. Because it's not, it, you know, that's really the reason why I did it. It's not that I necessarily got anything out of it and a practice that I want to continue regardless of. Uh, but, but that's a reflection on us. You've got somebody there for nine months. Not 11. 11 months. You've got them there. We can't, I mean, 
you have to learn something. At well, least you get some Hebrew you throw at you. Well, yeah. The I, question not, is, what are we doing to retain the people? <coughs> and that's the question I've been asking. Right. So I, I don't want to. I don't necessarily want to. We can have a, maybe an offline conversation about the about our minion specifically. Um, and I think that maybe the answer is, is sort of uh, uh, somewhere in between because I don't know if we uh, if it's if it's um, if it's helpful or or accurate for the minion itself to take on full responsibility for someone um, who doesn't want to come back to minion after cottage. Well, I think maybe pu- what we don't know that. Oh, I, mean, I know so that's exactly that's exactly what I'm saying. We we don't know that. It, it, I I assume that it could be something that uh, that a a minion, not necessarily ours, but if there there is a community like that, that the minion might be able to take partial responsibility. But on some level, right, and I think that this is what uh, um, what uh, the Nativo Shalom is talking about through the Rambam is that uh, it's that there, there's an individual responsibility in prayer too, right? The individual has to you. No one else can intend can direct your heart for you, right? Um, so part of it is um, it maybe is an educational hurdle, which is you know. Um, what should a person expect to get out of prayer or hope to get out of prayer? That's why I love that idea of an exit interview, right? So if you if you if you said to someone, you know, like you had these three questions, right? Did you did you know did you walk out feeling like a more uh, uh, did you walk out feeling a greater connection to God? Did you walk out uh, feeling like you have a greater connection to other people? Did you walk out feeling like you had a more motivation to uh, be a better person? Um, and if you, you know, like rate them on a scale of you know like one to five, right? Um, and, and and but then you actually have a sense of to go back to Steve's original question: What does it mean to be effective in prayer, right? And that's I think the exit interview question. So um, so I, I think that the answer might be somewhere in between about the the, the issue with uh, people coming for Kaddish, right? Because for most of them, their their goal was to come and say Kaddish. Right? Their goal wasn't necessarily to uh, to 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 pray in the sense that we're talking about here, or to be uh, part of uh, to be part of the minion in the and the community in the sense that I think that you're uh, that, that you're referring to. That's not saying that's not putting a value judgment one way or the other on that approach. But I think that that might be said that that's the approach. Um, but I think that what what he's talking about here is the the sort of um, uh, internal question. And is um, you know what what is what does it look like? And the exit interview question, right? What does it what does it look like? What does it feel like to have these kind of connections, this intentionality in, in prayer? All right. Well, uh, we can continue the conversation if you want. I'm going to turn off the recording though, and have a great day. Yeah,